This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's... So, yay! Good job, Augustus. So, what does that mean to us? There is precise teaching that God has been doing regarding his will for humanity from the very beginning. God cares about accurate teaching of his word. That's why the scripture says, don't let many of you be what? Teachers. Because teachers get a what? Stricter judgment. God has been teaching the same message from the genealogy of the book of Genesis about Jesus Christ's message until this very day. So we can't stray from God's teaching because when we do that, we are teaching something different than God has been saying the entire time. God has been saying the same thing for over 6,000 years through thousands and thousands of people that Jesus Christ would come down and save humanity from their sins. That as they said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish, but everlasting life. Now God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the message God has been saying from Adam until the end of the book of Revelation. Now, we've been talking about these various churches in the book of Revelation, and it's been 
it's been interesting that these various churches in, in the book of Revelation have had a different perspective, I guess, of themselves in contrast to the perspective God had for them. We find these big, rich, and vibrant churches uh, end up end up getting, oh, the battery's there because the little light's not even working. I'll do the, give me do the high thing. Here, put your invisible suit on. There you go. All you got to do it. You don't see Nate because he's invisible right now. (laughs) So we look here in the area, which is now modern day Turkey, then called Asia Minor. In this area, Jesus talking to John, who he loved, gives this revelation of himself. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ given by God to Jesus to give to John. Isn't it interesting? But nevertheless, he picks seven churches. Now, we know historically there are over 100 plus churches at this time that are in operation, that are functioning, that are doing great work. However, Jesus picks these seven churches. And the reason is there's something universal happening in these churches that could be applied to every church from the beginning of Jesus Christ's resurrection until now. We can pull principles away. If we have some real analytical people in the church, you can do a spreadsheet and basically delineate what all these churches are doing right in contrast to what they're doing wrong. And we could take that and create a value proposition or even a vision statement of our church. We can get our vision, mission, and values based upon what Jesus says here, and we can live out the way Jesus wants us to live based upon what he says. Does that make sense? So we talked about already Ephesus, and Ephesus means the desired. So this church, which is a church that all of us would desire to be like and act like, they were doing great work. They did every single thing that Paul told them to do in the book of Acts chapter 20. They're doing it all. Remember, we get the armor of God from chapter 6 from the book of, of Ephesians. But here, they're doing all these great things. But Jesus said, you have one thing I have against you. What is that? You've left your first love. And that word first means priority. Meaning Jesus is saying, you love something more than me. That is what? Idolatry. Anything above your love for Christ. What, what, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded by saying what? Love God with all your heart. Oh, you're my, God's not playing with that. I don't care what church you're going through across the planet. God's love has to be, your love for him has to be first and foremost above everything else in your reality. That's your wrestling match. That's your fight. Now, you know your motivations. You know your heart. But when you put God first, all the ducks line up in a row. It's a fight we all have to love God first. Sometimes we put our kids above God. Sometimes we put our beautiful wives above God or our handsome husbands. Or sometimes we put our church above God. Our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our cars, our Range Rovers. Right? We put that above God. And God said, unless you put me back first, I'm going to pull your candlestick away, off. Take it away. So repent. The next church he talked about was what? Smyrna. 
And it comes from the Hebrew word of myrrh. And we know Jesus, he received what from the wise men? Gold and and. Now we know gold is the gift of a king and frankincense, the gift of a priest and prophet. But myrrh is actually an embalming fluid used for someone who's dead. Myrrh. And we know in Isaiah chapter 60, in the millennial reign, people will come to Jesus and they'll bring gold to him. They'll bring frankincense to him, but you know they won't bring to him? Myrrh. There's no myrrh in the millennial reign of Jesus coming to be brought to him because he has suffered once and he'll never suffer again. This church is suffering. And Jesus basically says this, well done. You are staying faithful. Good job. Now, this is how deep the scriptures are. If we stop there and say, all we have to do is suffer and stay faithful to God, then we know that's all Christianity. But God is so deep. There's a scripture he says, I'll take from you even what you don't have. Like, that's everything, right? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to take it. I'm going I'm to take it all from you. Even the stuff you don't have, I'm going to take. Like, God wants it all. He wants it all. He wants you to look him in the eyes and love him. He doesn't want you to look away. He wants genuine intimacy. And he doesn't want anything, any cloud between you and him. God wants it all. Now today we're going to go to the church of Pergamum. This oh, is such a good church to talk about. Now this area is a vibrant and lively area. It's actually where the Romans finally came and conquered and they put up their headquarters there. That's where the seat of authority was in that region, Asia Minor, for, the, for Rome. So all decisions, political, military, came from this area. Now, we talked about Smyrna meaning like myrrh, to be crushed. Now, I, didn't, I skipped that part. So whenever um, you would want to extract myrrh from a tree, you have to cut the tree, right? Oh, there's a cross. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> he knows me. I was going to jump on it. Oh. <laughs> so in order, you find a myrrh tree and you cut it. And after you cut the tree, what does it do? It bleeds. And the sap turns hard into gum. And then once that gum hardens, in order to get the fragrance out of it, you know what you have to do to that gum? You have to beat it. And then once it's crushed, it produces a wonderful aroma. Smyrna. Jesus says, well done. This is how deep God is, though. There's a scripture in the Bible. Jesus said, if you give your very body to be burned, but if you don't have what? Love. It means nothing. God is in the motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Pergamum means this. Per, which means different or other, and magum, which comes from like monogamy, which is 
marriage. So it comes from the word different marriage. That's the connotation when you get Pergamum, a different marriage. I've done all this. Hopefully I've said the right city. Now as I try to turn it, it's dead. Oh, it should be working. The light's on. Okay. So now here, Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Once again, you see this same introduction. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos. Pergamos. Different marriage. To the angel. The angel is the pastor of that church. He says this. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, who is that person? Jesus. Remember, in the, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is coming with a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth, which is symbolic of judgment. So we know the scripture, Hebrews 4, I think chapter 12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening the two-edged sword, piercing the dividing the center of the soul, the spirit of joints and marrow. We love that because it's one of the first ones we memorize. But nevertheless, he's coming with the, the word of God. And Jesus is going to judge humanity by his words. And now listen to what he says. The one who Jesus, now he has a different title this time with a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. He says, I know your works. It's a commendation. He's telling them, good job. And where you dwell. Now, it's almost sympathetic because he follows up this. He gives you a clarifying statement here. Where Satan's throne is. He said, I get it. I know you're doing good work. I know where you are. You're where Satan's throat is. Now, this is not an, an allegory. This is not symbolic. He's speaking literally. Now, the problem we have today as t- living in the year 2018 to translate what Jesus was saying to his audience then. Now, if we go back that day and time, we have to understand this area, Pergamos, was the religious center of Rome. There was a group of people, this is how awesome this scripture is, there was a group of people in the time of, uh, what would it say, Daniel, the Babylons. And when, when Babylon was overrun or sacked or taken over, they didn't destroy it, but it was just captured by Cyrus. The priest left Babylon and went to the next religious center of the world. And interestingly enough, these same priests traveled to almost every major capital of the planet. Rome too. And these priests come from this place called Babylon. And the Bible always contrasts Babylon with what city in the Bible? Israel. There's always a contrast between Babylon and Israel. Babylon represents false worship. All false worship in the Bible comes from Babylon. And all true worship biblically comes from Israel. So here we have these priests who leave Babylon and they settle in Pergamos. And they begin to preach their faith there. There at Pergamos, there's temples and altars to almost every single type of faith they have in the kingdom. You'll see here in Rome, they have similar gods as do the Egyptians, as do the Greeks. And these same type of pantheon gods we find almost all over the planet. And we're going to get to those gods here shortly. So most people think that when Jesus is referring to Satan's throne, 
He's talking about one specific God that was there. It's this God of healing. And if you remember in the Old Testament, there was this scene where the people of Israel were being bitten by snakes. And what God had them do was to beat brass into the form of serpents. And that's kind of, I know, just work with me. (laughs) And that, in a sense, brazen serpent became a place of healing. And any time the Jews would look up at that serpent thingy, they would be healed. Now, you know this symbol. If you go to any, like, doctor's office, you see the snakes, right? And, and they were healed. They trusted God. The snake venom poison didn't kill them. Now, we know Hezekiah, years later, had to destroy that thing because the people started worshiping the brazen serpent rather than God. If you've ever been to Israel, and I know there have been people here who have been to Israel before, but if you've ever been to Israel, hey, she's been to Israel. Nevertheless, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll see people like worshiping like bones of Jacob and bones of other. Like, what is going on? All these artifacts, they build these big castles on artifacts. You're like, wait a minute, that's not God. Hezekiah said, we can't do this, so he destroyed it. Some people think that worship, which happens there at Pergamos of this God, is the God of healing in the Roman faith, is Satan's throne. The next option is Caesar worship. Now, Caesar worship itself did not start here, but the actual first temple of Caesar worship was there. And we know in order to worship Caesar, all you had to do is this. You take incense and you throw it on the fire, pledging your allegiance to Caesar. And if you did that, regardless of what faith you had, you were okay, right? Compromise. Some people think that is Satan's throne. The last one, the one I've been waiting to get to, is this. See, you have to understand, I go back to the scripture, Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, it said the sons of God saw the daughters of women, man, and thought daughters of women, and thought they were fair, and they began to have children. And the Bible says giants were on the earth that day. Now, on the Septuagint, they translated the word giants, which originally in the Hebrew was nephal. We know of the term nephilim, right? So, we see David fight against giants, and we see here in Genesis chapter 6, these giants are nephilim, or fallen beings. They are the descendants of angels and men. And because of this hybrid birth... These creatures roamed the planet and corrupted all of humanity. If you go to the book of Enoch, it says 200 angels came down Mount Hermon and they began to depopulate and populate the earth in a satanic fashion. Corrupting all flesh is what it says in Genesis chapter 6. So as a result of the corruption, God had to do what to the earth? Flood it. And he flooded the earth, and then only a family of eight people were saved. Now, the pagan version of this is a lot different. The pagan version says, Zeus saw the daughters of men. And Zeus started having intercourse with the women, and they began to birth titans. Anybody watch Clash of the Titans? And remember, in the Clash of the Titans, Zeus had to fight against the Titans. And because Zeus was so strong, he overcame the Titans and saved humanity. 
And that's why the Romans worship Zeus, because he thinks it's their savior. It's a demonic perversion of the story of Noah's Ark. Here in Pergamos, they have the biggest temple to Zeus. Zeus is Satan, according to the Bible, that is. Nevertheless, Satan's throne is there. And it says, even though I know your works and you and where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and he says, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying, I know what you are doing. I know where you are. You stay faithful to my name and my faith. And even though Antipas, whose name means against all, stood faithful and was martyred. Tradition says he was put inside a brazen bull and lit a fire. And while he was dying, he was singing praises to God. I can't comprehend it. I'm just trying to say what the Bible is saying. He was faithful until the end. But... Now, for you Bible scholars out there, whenever you see a but, what does that mean? Contrast means everything before it is canceled out. But, even though all this good is here, I have a few things against you. Next slide, please. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, if you don't know who Balaam is, he's a Gentile prophet who was offered money by Balak, king of Moab, to curse Israel. Now, Balaam went to God, the God of heaven, the God we worship three times. Get this. The first two times he went... God said what? No, don't go. He was praying to God. God, should I go with him? God said no. He prayed a second time. God, should I go with him? God said no. Then he prayed a third time, and the scariest thing happened in all the Bible. What happened? God said what? Yes. How does that work in your theology? God said no. He kept asking. God said no again. He kept asking. God said, go ahead. While he's on his way to go get that money, because he was solicited by the king to curse God's people, an angel was standing in the middle of the road. And the angel was about to take his head off, but something amazing happens. Something magical happens. Something supernatural happens. What happens? The donkey starts talking to him. He starts beating the dog because the donkey's not listening. Come on, go down the road. The donkey keeps bumping to the side of the road. And he beats his donkey three times. And then the donkey finally has it. The donkey says, listen, aren't I a faithful donkey? Don't I do you good? He's like, yes. He's talking to the donkey like, this guy's crazy. He's talking about, I would have been running. As soon as the donkey said the first syllable, it doesn't matter if it was in English or Hebrew, I'd have been gone. Like, he was understanding the donkey, Right? The donkey's like, look, there's this angel in the middle of the road. And if I'd have kept going, he would have killed you. And he realized what happened. So the angel said, look, if you go there 
and say anything other than what I tell you to say, I'm going to take your life. So Balaam eventually goes there and he sees the people of Israel. And instead of cursing Israel, he does what? He blesses Israel. Now, Balak is going, Matt, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Curse them. But he said, I can't curse what God has blessed. Now, if that was the end of the story, we'd be like, wow, God is amazing. But guess what this dude did, Balaam? He couldn't directly attack Israel. So what he did is he told Balak how to trip Israel up. He said, this is what I tell you need to do. Get all your prettiest, finest women and line them up around the camp. Have them dress lasciviously and have them seduce the men of Israel to come to them and commit fornication to get married to them and then have those men end up worshiping our gods. And that's what happened. Balaam basically taught Balak how to destroy Israel. It was through false worship. And Israel was punished. And Balaam was punished. And Moab was punished because of it. And what's happening here at Pergamos is the people of God there, even though they stood faithful to God's name, they stood faithful despite being persecuted, they started slipping and started accepting the teachings of other religions. The word is syncretism. It's combining faiths. Have you seen in the back of the bumpers that thing that says what? Coexist. And it has symbols of different faiths. And you're supposed to feel guilty because like, well, wait a minute, I'm not tolerant. And, And that's exactly the opposite of what God is saying to do. What that really is in God's eyes is like you being married to five or six people or three people or even one other person. It's it's you being polygamous. Now, my wife won't allow me to be a polygamist. And Jared, I don't even have to ask. Bashan, Christy. See, see Christy looks you looking at me like, Pastor Bad, don't even go here. Right? It's like, who is going to allow you to be with your spouse and your spouse? Like, you're, in your brain, you can't even fathom that. That's what syncretism is. You're married to God. You're intimate with God, but you're also worshiping another God. And that is called idolatry. In practical terms, in our life, that's called adultery. But in God's eyes, to worship something else besides Him is idolatry. So that's why I say be careful of what you do. There are exercise practices today that we do. We don't understand yoga is a form of worship of another religion. It's just not exercise. I have Hindu or Indian Christians tell me all the time, I can't believe you Americans do yoga. I don't even do yoga, and I'm Indian. I'm like, I know. But we live in a day where we think, because it's naturalism, we can jump in the bed with these other worship practices and don't think there's consequences. And that's syncretism. These people have been faithful to Jesus. They were faithful during persecution. But God sees their action as adulterous. Because they're bringing in another worship practice with the worship of God. He goes on to say, he did this teaching. You, You have this person in your church and they have this type of teaching, this other doctrine in the midst of your church. And he says, you're eating things sacrificed to idols. Now, the why this is important is because in that area, do you know where most people got their meat from? 
from, from when you sacrifice to these other gods. That's, that, and I'm, just for us, so we understand, I know all y'all don't shop at Walmart, but imagine if all of us only got our meat from Walmart and Walmart alone, nowhere else. And imagine all Walmart got their meat from was from religions that sacrificed the meat to their God. Cows sacrificed to their gods. And what he's saying, God's saying here is, you should be eating that meat. Paul said the same thing. He said, if me eating meat sacrificed to idols causing my brother or sister to stumble in their faith, I will never eat meat again as long as I live vegan. He or she who has an ear, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That says here to all these churches, and what it's supposed to say is this. Since you have ears, this message is for you. Let him or her hear what God is saying. You can't worship God and another God at the same time. You can't stay married to your spouse and try to marry somebody else at the same time. To him or her who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. We know the story about the manna in the Old Testament, right? That story, the Jews had no food, so God gave them manna, bread from heaven. Now, eventually they got tired of it, but nevertheless, they had food that gave them all the energy they needed. Now, they did have manna for breakfast and lunch and dinner, but that's okay. But nevertheless, it was bread for heaven, which is symbolic of who? Jesus, who is the bread of heaven. If you overcome. Now, this is the part I like. And I will give him or her a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him or her who receives it. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible if you have been with me this entire time, if your brain got turned off with the Lord of the Rings stuff or maybe the yoga stuff, come back to me for one second. This is my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Look at this. Jesus says, when you overcome, listen, baby guesses, when you overcome, Jesus is going to give you a white stone for you. Everybody, take a white stone. Take, take a white stone. Now, on that stone... There's a new name written on it. You are going to have a new name. I don't like my name, honestly. I just beat out. I don't like Anthony. I think it's too weak. That's why I gave my son's like strong names. Augustus, Maximus, and Titus. Now, I found out they were Roman emperors, and I'm repenting every day that I gave them names. But nevertheless, I love their names. They're strong. <laughs> right? <laughs> but check this out. On that stone will be your new name. This is the part that brings me to tears. Which no one knows except him who receives it. God's going to give you a new name that nobody knows except for you and him for all eternity. You know the pet name you got for your kid or your spouse? The only you know that name. But when you say that name, they know who you're talking about. Nobody else knows that name. What is that signifying? Intimacy. Like marriage. He said, I'll be closer to you than anybody else ever will. Got a couple points we're done for the day. Greg is ESP and me. Adhering to false doctrine in the church will result in Jesus fighting against you. So let's not fight against Jesus because we cannot win. Next point. There are consequences for those in the church who live out teachings that are contrasting the teachings of Jesus. So 
even though you're faithful to God in these areas, if I'm faithful to my wife in all these areas, but then have an emotional affair, you know, emotional affair, which is the hardest affair to come and overcome. Like you can have a physical affair and overcome that, but if you have an emotional affair, that thing is almost a death knell for your marriage. So you can't be faithful in all these things and slipping here. You got to be completely right and faithful all the time. Next slide, please. Reject teaching that is contrasting to the teachings of Jesus Christ. You just got to reject it. I don't care how attached you are to the teaching, how it makes you feel good, how it pleases your body, your flesh, how it helps you as a person, how it helps you be successful. If it doesn't honor God, you need to reject it. Next slide. Why do we need to do it? So that we can overcome and receive the hidden manna in our new name from Christ. Anybody's ever been in a marriage, you've been in a rough spot? And all of a sudden, there's restoration. It's like you're closer to that person you've ever been closer to them before. That's like receiving the stone. Jesus is saying, I know we've, we've had a bad marriage. We've been struggling. But we're going to renew. We're going to renew our vows. And this stone is symbolic of your intimate relationship with God. The teaching that you accept will determine your eternal destiny. The people didn't know it. But they wanted earthly pleasure. They thought they were set. They had withstood the martyrdom test. They were holding on to the name of Christ despite being in the place where Satan's seat was. But they were getting caught up in the world. They wanted their cake and eat it too, as they say. Next point. Remember, Jesus expects us to know the difference between what he teaches and what others teach. Jesus Christ has been saying the same message from the beginning of the Bible to the end. He's not going to change. Trust him. He has a plan for your life. I'm going to pray for you. Father, God, I ask you to help our church, Lord God, stay faithful to you. Lord, marriages can be tough and we can stray in our own mind and heart, Lord God. So we know as the symbol of marriage can be difficult to hold on to. We understand that our relationship with you, Lord God, can be just as difficult. Help us not fall into temptations, Lord God, of the flesh, of the eye, of pride of life, Lord God. But help us learn how, Lord God, to value you. Help us focus on loving you first and adhering to your teaching. And Lord God, change us so that we can love other people the way you love us, Lord God. Don't leave us the same, Lord God. Make us more like you today. Help us leave this place, Father God, with a passion to love you and you only, Lord God. Help us only have eyes for you, Father God. Only have a desire for you, Father God. Help our very bent and help our very soul be knitted to yours, Lord God. Help us love, Lord God, being married to you, Father God, spending time with you, Father God. Help, Father God, whatever in us, Father God, doesn't that doesn't desire to be with you, Father God, be eradicated, be removed, Father God. Help us, Father God, have a genuine passion, Lord God, to be with you, to love you. Make that our hearts cry. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I give you all my heart. I give you all my heart. I give you all my heart.